Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I'm glad to share the next few minutes with you. I want you to find victory and life in Jesus Christ. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say that we're learning how to live as God's people, and we do this by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to look us up on the web at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. And we're also on Facebook. You can find out more about what we're doing at our church there on Facebook. So today, we're going to be looking at a mighty passage in the book of Romans, perhaps one of my favorite passages from Romans. Uh, Romans 12 is my favorite from Romans, about offering yourself as a living sacrifice to God. But it's about, but that passage is about what you and I do in response to God. It's about our actions. It's about our habits. Today, we're going to look at Romans 5. And Romans 5 is about God's actions alone. There's nothing in Romans 5, verses 1 through 8, that you or I do. And that's the point. God has purchased salvation for you and for me. We cannot earn it. We cannot deserve it. God gives it freely by his son, Jesus Christ. And we need to hear that and be encouraged by that. All right, well, let's get started with this week's message. The following series of advertisements reportedly appeared in a daily newspaper on Monday. This is the advertisement. The Reverend A.J. Jones has one color TV set for sale. Please telephone 626-1313 after 7 p.m. and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who lives with him. Cheap. On Tuesday, the advertisement read like this. We regret any embarrassment caused to Reverend Jones by the typographical error in yesterday's paper. The ad should have read, the Reverend A.J. Jones has one color TV set for sale, cheap. Telephone, and then there's a number, and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who lives with him after 7 p.m. The Wednesday newspaper read like this. The Reverend A.J. Jones informs us that he has received several annoying telephone calls because of an incorrect ad in yesterday's paper. It should have read, The Reverend A.J. Jones has one color TV set for sale. Cheap. Telephone 626-1313 after 7 p.m. and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who loves with him. Thursday. Please take notice that I, Reverend A.J. Jones, have no color TV set for sale. I have smashed it. Do not call the phone number anymore. And I have not been carrying on with Mrs. Donnelly. She was, until yesterday, my housekeeper. Friday. Wanted. A housekeeper. Usual housekeeping duties. Good pay. Love in. Reverend A.J. Jones. Telephone number. And then you know the rest. <laughs> Typos can be pretty embarrassing, and there can be lots of confusion. For all that we are capable of accomplishing, for all that we're capable of learning, we still make mistakes and have misunderstandings. The human race has a tremendous capacity for knowledge, for learning, for creativity. We see with our eyes, we learn information, but we may not be able to rightly understand what we see or understand something's worth. And today's text from Romans reminds us that, thankfully, God has taken care of the most important parts of life and has handled the greatest struggles of life. Sin, he's handled salvation, and he's handled eternity. So I have the question for you. How's your life going? 
if you're like a lot of people right now, you're hungering for some stability. You're hungering for things to be put right. You hunger for peace. And when I say peace, I want you to think of the biblical idea of peace, which is that everything is everything being the way that it's supposed to be, wholeness. But perhaps you feel that your world is anything but the way it's supposed to be. And I suspect more likely than not, most of us, when we look at what's wrong in our nation and in our lives, we realize that our hunger for peace is greater than ever. You and I need the message of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Because God knows our predicament far better than we do. He knows what we need far better than we do. And he has administered the solution far better than we ever could. This text promises us us that if we have faith in Jesus, we can have peace. And not just any kind of peace. Peace with God. See, God gives us a prescription for the peace of God, getting it into our lives. And he says that we get it by rejoicing in the future promises, as good as they are, and rejoicing in our present circumstances, however difficult they may be. So let's go ahead and read the text, Romans 5, 1 through 8. And I will admit, yeah, rejoicing is what we do, but you will hear that most of what is happening in this text is what God has done. Beginning in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that the suffering, that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out on into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now I want to stop reading there. That's just verses one through five. So far, what we have read In there, we have found two promises, that we can have peace with God, and we can have the grace of God. So, I want to talk about those two ideas real quickly. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. Peace is something that is universally desired, but rarely achieved. We want peace in our families, in our workplace, and in our communities. Everywhere you look, you will see people trying to build peace, because they're trying to build a life that is satisfying and whole the way it should be. We try to make peace in all sorts of ways, by cleaning up the environment. We pass laws to protect and to promote our ideals. We are in wars, and we're against wars in the name of peace. We look for peace in dream jobs, in adventure, in experiencing wonder, in feasting on good food. We look for peace in building our health. There's all kinds of things that people are doing to build peace into their lives. If there's anything I've learned over the years, it's that you and I can achieve a tremendous amount of success if we put our mind to it, our time to it, and our bodies into it. However, none of our efforts can produce real peace. Because any little paradise that you and I can build can be blown away in one of life's storms. The late Timothy Keller writes these words, The world's peace is an intermittent peace. And Christian peace is constant, because the world's peace is based on circumstances. Hmm. See, we all want peace, yet peace sustained is nearly impossible to hang on to. 
Something in our circumstances always goes wrong. Someone gets sick, a job is lost, trust is broken, something happens. And as long as we live on this side of heaven, there will be conflict of one sort or another. There is no cure that will remove struggle from your life. But we can have peace with God. And that peace is purchased through Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are in a terrifying conflict with God. We're at odds with Him and we cannot win. There is no peace. And this lack of peace is not because God is mean. It's not because he's aggressive towards us or has animosity towards us. This cosmic conflict is because of our own sin. And God wants peace with you. And he's reached out to us to make reconciliation on our behalf through his son, Jesus Christ. We can have guaranteed peace with God. And that means real peace in heaven someday and right now. The other side of peace with God is this, because now we can face the struggles of this world with a confidence that we could not before. As Christians, we have peace in the most important conflict of all creation between us and God. Thomas Merton writes these words, we are not at peace with others because we're not at peace with ourselves, and we're not at peace with ourselves because we're not at peace with God. So if we have peace with God, then the other conflicts of life will be better. They don't go away, but they're much more tolerable. We're much more able to handle them. Do you have peace with God? You need to know that today you can have peace with God if you would put your belief and your trust in Jesus Christ. No other person, no other place, no other circumstance produces peace. Romans 5.1 tells us that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want need, or crave peace? The answer is to seek Jesus. He is the way to peace. Secondly, the text tells us we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Eugene Peterson, pastor, professor, theologian, and most noted for his translation of the Bible into everyday English, the message, renders Romans 5-2 in a very lovely way. He grew up in Montana, you know, big sky country, and you can hear it in his version of this verse. The message reads like this, we find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall, shouting our praise. I really like that rendering. He captures well the massive size of God's grace that stretches far and wide. Normally, when I speak about grace, I highlight that it is grace is unmerited favor, I and mean, that's that's what it really is. It's a gift that's undeserved. However, here Paul is describing something different about grace. He's describing its size, its sphere, that we're inside of this massive grace. We're enveloped in it, and we can't get out. It's, we can't exhaust it. It's always there, and that's a good thing. John Stott tells us this, Justified believers enjoy a blessing far greater than a periodic approach to God or an occasional audience with the king. We are privileged to live in the temple and in the palace. We're with them all the time. We are in the grace of God all the time. When you put peace and grace together, 
That's what we're being told in Romans 5, that we have been given God's peace and we've been given God's grace. When those are put together, something very powerful happens to your outlook on life. And that's my other big thought is this peace with God and this grace of God leads us to a place of rejoicing. And that is the response that we can do. God's done all the work. And then we respond with rejoicing. We give glory to God. The Westminster Shorter Confession has this question and answer in it. And I think it's something we need to take heart. The question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You and I were designed to worship God. Henry Nouwen writes these words, The deep truth is that our human suffering need not be an obstacle to the joy and peace we so desire. It can become instead the means to it. Here in the letter to the Romans, Paul is telling us that our belief in God must result in rejoicing, rejoicing in the future promise, a future hope of God. And then perhaps what's more difficult, not just rejoicing in the future of heaven, but rejoicing in, dare I say, our current sufferings. I mean, Henry Nouwen said that our sufferings can become a means to joy. How does that work? Yeah, we're told in Romans 5 that we rejoice in two places, in the hope of the future glory of God and in our sufferings. The first one's easy. We rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. The future hope and in the glory of God is different from everyday hopes. <laughs> I, I think this needs to be emphasized over and over because our culture minimizes the word hope. Because we use the word hope like I hope the weather holds, right? I, I hope for all kinds of things that may or may not happen. But this hope and the glory of God is one that is guaranteed. When we say we have hope in the glory of God, we say that we trust that one day His glory will be fully displayed for all to see. Right now, God is hidden. At least we can't see the fullness of His glory. His presence is veiled, firstly, because we can't handle to see it fully right now, but secondly, because He has planned for us to walk by faith right now, trusting in what will come. And we have a hope that one day God's glory will be totally revealed. I would guess that we do not often think too deeply about that. We are more concerned about ourselves, about our well-being, but you will never be more complete than when you stand in the total revealed glory of God. Are you looking forward to that? That's a hope that we rejoice in. But secondly, the text tells us that we rejoice in the glory of God, but also our current sufferings. And that's a lot harder. So Paul pulls us out of the heavens and he plants us back onto the reality of this earth and bluntly says, life here is hard and you're going to struggle, but you need to learn how to rejoice in those sufferings. Why on earth are we being told to rejoice in our sufferings? That's, we want them to stop. That Why would we rejoice in them? But first of all, Paul is not saying ignore your sufferings. He's not saying put, a, put on a smile and pretend your problems away. Your problems are very real. But you and I often misread the severity, the size, the urgency of our struggles. When the problem seems too big to you, hopelessness is a natural response. Today, you can know that you have a creator, the creator of the universe on your team. The problem is not too big. 
never for him, never too big for him. So Paul tells us to rejoice, firstly, so that we do not lose sight of God and get stuck in our suffering. Have you ever spent so much time focused on a problem that you lose sight of your goal? You ever spend so much time looking at what's wrong that you forget what is good and right? When you and I rejoice in our sufferings, we're saying that we're going to intentionally look for what is good and right in every situation we find ourselves in. When we do this, we're going to open ourselves up to what God is up to. When I was a teenager and involved in Boy Scouts, I had the privilege of going on a high adventure backpacking trip to the Rocky Mountains in New Mexico. It was a beautiful trip, but it was a difficult trip. We carried all of our own equipment, our supplies on our backs, our food, everything we carried on our own. The entire trip, uh, all, the trip on the whole was about 80 miles of hiking through the mountains. And each night, our trip leader uh, led us through a little game, an activity called Thorns and Roses. A thorn was a struggle, a problem we faced that day, and a rose was something wonderful that we experienced. The only rule of this was that you could... If you decided to share a thorn, something that went wrong, you must also share a rose. The leader didn't want us to pile up thorns. You know, the food was poorly cooked, there's blisters on our feet, we took a wrong turn on the hike and had to add extra distance. When you start piling up thorns, you soon find yourself stuck. So the rule was, if you named a thorn, name a rose. And my question is you, for you right now. Are you piling up thorns of what's going on in your life? Are you naming the roses? They're there. But it's easier for us to focus on the thorns, isn't it? When you rejoice in spite of suffering, you gain the ability to see what God is doing. And I would challenge you to do that today. Secondly, when we rejoice in our suffering, we rejoice in our suffering so that we will trust in God's provision. An unknown source, an anonymous source said this, and we just know it's true. A pessimist can hardly wait for the future so he can look back with regret. <laughs> Have you ever met anyone like that? By rejoicing in our sufferings, we are putting our hope not in how we feel in the moment, but in the promise that God has something better for us. Trusting in God's provision also means that we realize that we do not have to solve our struggle ourselves. We have to be on the lookout for how God has planned to solve the struggle that we find ourselves in. Are you trusting his provision? Thirdly, we rejoice in our suffering so that we see opportunity instead of obstacles. When you face a struggle, when you see a problem, you either see an issue or you see an opportunity. I don't want to diminish the pain that you might be in right now, the injustice you're facing right now, but a transformational shift that you can make is to ask yourself, how will God use you to grow through the struggle instead of how will I get through this struggle? Think of whatever pain or struggle you're facing right now. And again, I, I don't want to trivialize what you're going through. But have you only asked yourself, how am I going to get through this? Or will you dare to ask God, Lord, how are you going to grow me through this? I talked about grace earlier, and I think God gives us transformational grace. Not just grace to get through the day, but grace to grow through the day. 
In Romans, Paul writes of a chain of growth that God wants to lead you through. Suffering into perseverance, perseverance into character, and character into hope. This time, that hope that we talk about is that the love of God has been poured out on us. So we can rejoice in struggle, because God's love is unfading. It's poured out onto us by the Holy Spirit. We never suffer alone. The Spirit's with us. In the midst of our suffering, God is about to do something new if we will let him. And this leads me to what I believe to be the most powerful, one of the most powerful reasons that we rejoice in our suffering. By rejoicing and praising God in my suffering, I give God permission to do something new in me. When I rejoice to God, I'm declaring that my world is bigger than what I see and what I feel right now, and I want to let God in and bring about newness in me. Are you doing that? When you choose to take a posture of rejoicing towards the Lord in the midst of struggle, it's a way of inviting God in. I want to come back to Romans 5, because I wanted to read verses 1 through 8, and if you remember, I only read through verse 5. Verses 6 through 8 tell us the new work that God has done for us and wants to do in us. And it reads like this, beginning in verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul here describes the ultimate expression of God's love, that Jesus died for you and he died for me. And I would add that he died for us when we were at our worst and most unlovable. The essence of love is giving. If you say you love someone, you should ask yourself what you, what you are bringing into their life. What are you giving to them? Perhaps you'll find you've not been very loving because you have been more concerned about what you get. There's another truth about love and gifts. Gifts. The more the gift costs, the less the recipient. Let me start over here. There's another truth about love and gifts. The more the gift costs, the less the recipient deserves it. Verse 8 tells us that there is no way on earth we deserve God's gift or love, but he gave it anyway. We can rejoice in the sufferings, because no amount of suffering can erase the gift of Jesus Christ. Will you receive him? Will you believe in that gift? No doubt, each one of us are facing struggles. And if you're overwhelmed, I want to invite you to receive the peace of God. But I also want to challenge you to rejoice. Rejoice in the future promise of the glory of God, but also rejoice. Find ways to rejoice in your current struggles. Maybe it's as simple as starting to identify the roses, not just the thorns. I want you to I want to invite you right now to take a moment right where you're at. And if you have felt stuck in life, if you have felt overwhelmed, take a moment. And praise God and invite him to take your struggle and to begin to do something new in you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you're the one from whom all good things proceed. So help us 
to be a rejoicing people. And help us to rejoice knowing that nothing we have, nothing that's pressed upon us, invalidates your promise to us. No struggle we have invalidates what you've done. Help us to realize the true gift that Jesus is, the salvation that he's purchased for us. And let us become a people who is far more grateful for what you've done. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.